Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to Elders past and present of the Kulin Nation and we recognise their unceded sovereignty. CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning everyone. You are listening, like I said, uh, like we said in that little uh, sting thingo music I don't know, what do you call it, Jane? Promo? Promo. And that little promo just now. You are listening to 3CR Breakfast. This is Monday Breakfast, and you are listening right now to the voice of Will, which is me, and... And James. And it's our last show for the year, Will. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, it's our last live show for the year, because we've still got heaps of actual, you know, really good interviews coming up. I know you've been working really hard and some stuff. I'm not sure if it's for Monday Breakfast, but it will be playing on 3CR during our summer programming which is not trash compared to other stations. So actually tune in over the summer. I'm going to be. Um, but you know, it's your, it's your last, it's your last week with, um, with the Monday Breakfast crew live to air. So, uh, hope we have a great show lined up for you. I think we do. We've got, um, we're going to be starting off speaking to, uh, Bill Kelly, who's the curator of Peace Not War at Docklands Library. So culture's still happening in Melbourne, even though, um, radio stations start to, Go for a little nap, and we'll be back next year. But peace, not war. And Bill is going to be joining us over the phone from uh, rural Victoria to talk about the exhibition, which is all about sort of anti-war, um, anti-war art, and speaking out against the desensitisation of people in this country uh, to um, to war and to images of war and to the tropes of um, of modern warfare. So that's that's something we're definitely looking forward to. What are we li- What are we getting onto after that? Uh, we've got over the wall. We've got the folks um, from that come from that show coming in. So we're going to do a bit of an extended chat to them about some of the things that have come up through the show and also, I guess, through the industry and and um, for the social sector through the year. And then having a look at next year as well and yeah. the kind of challenges that are going to be facing um, people that are needing those services and workers within the community sector next year as well. Absolutely. And we're actually having the folks from over the wall in studio as well, so it's going to be a bit of a chat. Um, and uh, and then after that, we're going to be speaking around 8 o'clock instead of the alternative media, um, just for scheduling reasons. We're speaking to Luke, um, Luke Sinclair from Sticky Institute. Now, folks, you may know of Sticky Institute, but if you don't, it's the, uh, the centre of... Um, it's really the centre of zines, I suppose, here in Melbourne. Uh, and if you don't know what a zine is, <laughs> then it's a, it's a self-published sort of DIY uh, method of publishing your work. So a lot of writers, um, sort of young writers and um, unpublished writers here in Melbourne turn to zine making, also comic writers as well, and people who mix the, mix the genre, genres as well. Um, so Sticky Institute is just a really vital um, resource because it's a great place to create zines, but it's also a vital meeting point and um, um, focal point of the zine culture here in Melbourne. And so um, Luke from Sticky Institute is going to be speaking to us because there's a threat 
2 Sticky Institute from the Melbourne Metro Rail Authority um, and what they're planning on doing to Campbell Arcade, which is where the Sticky Institute is um, right now um, in the underpass near DeGrave Street. And that that whole uh, area there has been such a great arts precinct for a really long time for kind of underground music and exhibitions and artistic expression over the years. Yeah, that's right. Like, whenever you walk down there... um, you see in those cases lining the walls those um those arts by by student artists from around Melbourne around Australia, um, buskers down there, um, and also it's just like a really sort of st- strangely peaceful place underground, mm. and um, it's uh, also a, a really good example of uh, sort of late Art Deco architecture. It's from sort of the Early, it was I think it's designed in 1949 or something like that. But it's you know it's it's an interesting place. If you haven't been there, go there now because it's going to be so it's going to be if they have their way, knocked down in 2019 or thereabouts. And so that's um that's why we've got Luke coming on this the show to talk to us about what you can do to stop that. Um and then we're also going to be hearing throughout the show from Jackson from a mystery location on a mystery topic. So uh, if I haven't piqued your interest, um, definitely the fact that Jackson's a really fantastic interviewer and um, he always comes up with great stories. So um, definitely, definitely stay tuned. Yeah. Um, You're listening to Monday Breakfast. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say, it's okay, you are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has uh, specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call 9419-8377. Did you know that each donation over $2 you make to 3CR's Radiothon is tax deductible. That means that when you're doing your tax return business, you can claim your 3CR donation as a legitimate tax deduction. To make a pledge to this year's Radiothon, call the station on 9419 8377. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. You're back listening to Monday Breakfast and I can personally um, approve of that last message because I purchased one of our lovely kofia scarves from uh, from 3CR, which is on 21 Smith Street in Fitzroy. It's, an, it's a great little piece of um, handicraft and design work and it's... Uh, it's uh, going to a, a good cause, supporting the last factory that produces them in Hebron, in 
in Palestine. So definitely uh, get on to that, you know. Give us a phone call on 94198377 to have one pop, popped aside for you and purchase one. Or you can turn into the shop, uh, turn into, a uh, turn up. Sorry, <laughs> you can't turn into the shop. You can turn up to the shop um, here at 3CR. Now, I've got... Um, uh, Bill Kelly on the line. Uh, Peace Not War is Art That Takes a Stand. Uh, sorry, Peace Not War, Art That Takes a Stand is the name of a new exhibition featuring works by artists from this country and across the globe. In their work, the artists propose a radical alternative to endless war, peace. As well as being an internationally respected artist himself and vocal leading pacifist, William Kelly is the curator and originator of this exhibition, and he joins us now on the phone. Welcome to 3CR Community Radio, Bill. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Oh, wonderful. Um, so, first of all, thank you for joining us. Um, but I just want to get straight into it. Tell us a bit about the genesis of this exhibition in particular. Um, I know that you're partnered with Monash Art Design and Architecture Mata and uh, the City of Melbourne, and it's led to this project in the Docklands Library. What's this all about? Well, it, it's, uh, it started a few years ago. I had an a installation of a large artwork at the uh, State Library. Uh, it was about, I guess, 10 or 12 meters tall, called Peace or War, uh, the big picture. And it was part funded by the uh, City of Melbourne. And once that was uh, over, it was on exhibition for about two months. Uh, once that was over, uh, they approached me and said, look, it would be good to do a follow-up uh, in the City of Melbourne itself or, or related to City of Melbourne, uh, what about putting together an exhibition down at the library at the docks and uh, and uh, on the same theme? And I thought, well, what a wonderful idea. I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. And, uh, and it started from there. It was going to be a rather uh, somewhat more modest exhibition, but it sort of grew in, in, in a nice way, and, uh, uh, and it's been a, a pleasure to be part of it. Well, that's fantastic. But like you say, you said that it's a small exhibition, but it's got art from or, um, from all over, really. Um, some names that stood out to me were Sean Tan. You've also got um, Mirka Mora and some other artists um, who um, Australians and Melbournians in particular will know quite well. Um, can you tell us how you chose the artworks and selected artists to show their work? Well, part of the, the thing was to look at what it was that was... Uh, the fundamental issues behind war. So it's, although I am a pacifist, it's not a conventional anti-war exhibition. It's more a pro-peace exhibition. And, and so the works by, by people like, uh, like Sean Tan and Michael Lunig and Murkumura are ones that are, are very gentle statements about the fact that we really need to be getting on better with each other and, and find a way to sort of look uh, towards the future, there are other pieces, international pieces, but people who have very much been involved in issues to do with uh, uh, social justice and human rights and peace, including people like Václav Havel, who you would know as more as the president, former president of the Czech Republic, who was the leader of the, the peaceful Velvet Revolution uh, against Russia, uh, who's better known as a politician these days than he was as a great poet and a, a dramatist. Uh, but and, and wonderful things to do with our, our treatment of each other generally in society. A great uh, stencil piece by an artist named Meek that's stenciled right on the wall called Begging for Change. Uh, and there's uh, Raymond Watson who was in 
in prison in uh, the Bay's prison in uh, Northern Ireland as a part of the troubles. And uh, Lionel Davis, who was imprisoned with Nelson Mandela and Robin Ireland, it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, 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 package of images. Uh, one of the central, rather small but central images, is one called Healing by a Yorta Yorta artist uh, named. Rochelle Patton, the Yorta Yorta Elder. Uh, so it's a, a very unconventional sort of perspective, but it involves the notion of uh, we we can be better than we are, and we have ways of doing this. Hmm. So um, it, it sounds like you picked a lot of um, artists who have very strong um, anti-war credentials, but as you said, it's a pro-peace uh Exhibition and you feature pro peace artwork. What makes for good pro peace art? Well, one of the things that look, that's a, that's a great uh, question. Uh, one of the things that uh, I remember, maybe about thirty, twenty five, thirty years ago, uh, I was asked to uh, to be involved in in uh, jurying an exhibition. Uh, in Melbourne that was a anti-war exhibition and yes I am certainly anti-war and I remember walking into the to that exhibition and and there's a lot of very very powerful work but almost all of it was work that uh, that had red red paint on a lot of red paint about blood and it was the idea was that it was it seemed that the idea that people had for peace is to say war is so horrible and ugly and so much suffering that we we need to be able to recognize that but nothing very little of that work was actually positive about you know where we might how we might go some in some direction uh, and how we might reflect on these sort of concerns uh, and and I spend a certain amount of time in a place called Guernica, which a number of your listeners would know in the Basque country, um, and the very famous painting by Picasso, which is a very, very strong anti-war painting uh, that talks about the suffering. And, and it's a good starting point to talk about that, but there are other more gentle ways to address the issues as well. Yeah, that's right. It's also worth um, noting that you're a recipient of the coat of arms from the city of Guernica. So you yourself are um, extensively involved with anti-war and pro-peace activism. Um, you, you, in your statement for the the art piece that you had out in the state library, it was at the end of last year. That that large hanging printed piece that you mentioned um, called yeah. uh, "Peace or War." Um, you in your statement, sort of contrasted our society's general distaste for interpersonal violence, or at least um, what, we, what we think is supposed to be the situation where there's no interpersonal violence. But interstate violence seems to be um, seen as a necessary evil, and there's a, there's a bit of a sharp contrast there. Is it really just a, a sense of scale, or are there, um, are there other things that make interstate or war, violence or war, um, much more acceptable? We're, we're, we are sold a bill of goods, as they say, uh, about all of this. And our current government just has this advertisement on television hmm. uh, that they're investing $200 billion in, uh, uh, in, uh, I can't remember, in the military industry uh, as a very proud statement uh, that we can get jobs that way. And you sort of say, well, this is just not right-minded. 
Uh, and it does start from the personal. It's, it's how do I relate to you? How do I relate to my family? How do we relate to our community? How do we relate to our city? How do we relate to our state, our country, and to others? And, uh, and if we, if we actually look at that in, in that sort of those stages, we can say, well, there, if we can relate well with each other, uh, why is it that by the time we move up to the political sort of agenda, we are told that we have to have fear. We are told that colonialism uh, is, is simply a part of, of uh, not just our history, but of our, our often our active way of living or, or recognizing that in other countries. Uh, we're, we're at, or, or our issues with asylum seekers and refugees. Uh, we often are put in, put in a position where we can be uh, embarrassed by our governments or, or just feel uh, let down. I think we just need to be a little bit more, a lot more uh, honest and, and reflective and uh, more careful about who it is that we, uh, we support. Now, in the in the description of this exhibition, I, I should point out that the ex- exhibition is ongoing, so it's on right now. Um, if you go during library hours to the Docklands Library, and it heads until um, the twenty fourth or the twenty uh, oh yeah the twenty third the twenty third of January. So you've still got a lot of time, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't put off going to see it. Um, I, do, I do want to ask you about something that you say in the in the statement, or um, that the at least the library has put out in the description of the exhibition, which is that it speaks out against our general desensitization desensitization to violence and war to which point I think a big part of this in Australia is the almost I suppose breathless veneration of the Anzacs and the diggers and the mythology around that specific type of soldier and that specific type of militarism do you see this um, in Australia at least as a pernicious element or is there a different reading to that about nation building and well I think I think what what you're saying is something which is seen by Many it's being almost anti-Australian, um, mm. and to to say that these these people who went off to war uh, that that the whole that the whole notion of going off to war should be a, a venerable thing uh, is 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 wrong, and there's uh, a great deal of sadness with the results of sending so many young people off to war. It was it was men, and now it's it's women as well. And the notion that because they have gone, that uh, that this should be a celebrated thing, as opposed to a thing which which is questioned. So it's not questioning them personally, because we're, we've all been told things that we believe at times that, that we then find out later are wrong. And almost everybody acknowledges, historians, including war historians, that the First World War was largely unnecessary. The Second World War... Uh, was could have been uh, uh, avoided had people not caved in, in a sense, to Hitler in 1935, 1936, 1937, when he bombed Guernica, uh, 1937, 8, with uh, the, the Jews being rounded up and uh, 39 being put into uh, the, the, the... To the ghettos. Uh, well, the, 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 that was later, but, in, but oh. excuse me, into the... Uh, uh, corralled it and put into the ghettos, and then later into uh, uh, the various sort of camps. There were all these stages that that we we allowed as a, as countries for somebody to to do this. They, that could have been stopped also. Uh, 
and certainly Vietnam, and, and certainly the uh, the whole Middle East right now, 17 years or so of, of a war which we never should have been involved in. So I think we, we question war uh, but and, and try to do what we can to educate people that it's it the way to go. Absolutely. Now, just to sort of round out our interview to, um, this morning, I just want to talk about a viewpoint that's brought up a lot in Western pro-war art, um, which is often about how noble it is to fight and die for one's country slash people. And um, it's really that focus on nobility and duty. I'm thinking of all eras of art from as far back as Michelangelo's David. You see David sort of very bravely, um, you know, this, this little guy, you know, we're, we're the underdogs, even though we've got this massive military might. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, well, I don't, I don't want to get into um, sort of various theories about what actually happened between David and Goliath. But, um, <laughs> um, through, to, through to the film American Sniper, um, yeah. a very recent, very prominent um, example of sort of the glorification of war, even though it does go into the complexity of the, 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 the main character. But in any case, sure. do you think pacifist art, against all of that sort of pro-war art, can keep up with the high drama of that kind of messaging? Can it? Can it tug us in the same way if it's if it's positive? To sound a bit negative in my I think that's point. A, I think that's a really good question because it's uh, uh, can it keep up with the high drama? No, uh, and and the reality is is that when you're you're uh, holding a child, uh, it isn't high drama. It's it's deep love, and uh, but it's absolutely every bit as as engaging, uh, more so even. And the idea of being uh, somebody who works towards peace, I think, is every bit as challenging. Um, I'm going to rephrase that. It is more challenging than giving in to the idea of war. It is a harder thing that every day to stand up against societies which want war, uh, that are accepting killing, accepting imprisonment, accepting putting asylum seekers away, uh, than it is to to be involved in war. Uh, it, it's not an easy road for all of those people, many of your listeners, uh, who are there every day sort of saying these things are simply not acceptable, when most of society right, uh, believes they are. And, and as far as art is concerned, there's this idea that... Uh, I have that, although a, a painting can't stop a bullet, uh, a painting can stop a bullet from being fired. And, and one of the images in the exhibition is that very famous uh, Vietnam napalm image of young Kim Phuc running down the road that was taken by Nick Art that helped to stop the Vietnam War, helped to stop many bullets. Uh, art can help us uh, see the world in a better light. Absolutely. So um, the the name of the exhibition is Peace Not War, Art That Takes a Stand, and it's ongoing. So uh, turn up to the Docklands Library, which is at 107 Victoria Harbour Promenade in Docklands. That's live at the, at the library at the Dock Gallery, and the exhibition's been extended to the 23rd of January, but that's no excuse to put off going to see this exhibition. Definitely head in and um, go check out the, the works of art. Um, Bill Kelly, thank you so much for joining us on Monday Breakfast. It's an honour. 3CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor, The New International Bookshop, for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton.
wonderful. So what I'm going to be doing... Are you aged over 65? The University of Melbourne is conducting interviews exploring how radio can impact well-being. Researchers will interview you for 60 minutes and in return you'll be given a $25 gift card. For more information, please visit cbf.com.au forward slash wellbeing. This research is proudly funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. A 3CR supporter. 3CR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say it's okay. You are just being killed for trespassing. Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch. They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people. Who does the killing? The company has uh, specially arranged security forces. Subscribe today. Call Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-
listening to Monday Breakfast here on 3CR Community Radio. Um, my name's Will, and we're here in the studio with Duncan from Over the Wall. Over the Wall, um, you folks have been listening to it every week, so I don't really need to tell you what it is, but it is a, um, a fairly comprehensive roundup of what's happening in um, uh, sort of news around social services and the industry of um, social support. And from the perspective of both of those who are f- affected and also the people who work in that sector. Um, so we're very happy to welcome Duncan to the studio. It's the first time I've met you in person, Duncan. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, so we just brought you in here so we could have a conversation about what's happened in the past year and maybe look ahead to what, what you're planning on doing for the next year. So yep. first of all, um, can we talk about a, a bit about what got you and Peter started on... Um, on uh, sort of creating over the wall and um, what what the genesis of that was? Well, it was actually Pete's baby, and he just uh, asked me to help him with it. <laughs> so, his, people around here would probably be aware of Pete. He's been doing radio for years, and mm. he's doing kids programs for a couple of years, and did a whole uh, commissioned radio for ABC Radio National and things like that. And I think he just. Uh, Decided it's time to get a bit more political, I guess, and I was happy to help because I have a, a an abiding belief that um, information about um, existing avenues of uh, right and appeal and uh, existing resources dealing with government bureaucrats and using government bureaucracies to deal with private. Um, uh, you know, landlords and things like that, that once you have the information, you can use existing resources beyond having to fight for new rights and resources. Yeah, no, yeah. So that's, there's a sort of, I'm not sure if it's intentional or not, but like not enough information really just being out there in the first place and people not really knowing what rights they already have. That's correct. Yeah. I mean, you would have to be pretty... Um, You'd have to have a fair bit of time and skill to be mm. across all the information. Yeah, yeah. People often end up being forced to find out a lot about one particular field because they've been cut off the dole or because mm. they're about to get thrown out of their house or yeah. whatever. And um, we're not we're not totally across it, but that's why we try and find the experts in each of the fields and ask them. Yeah, and we definitely get a lot of feedback. That's exactly what people tune in for and over the wall. I think it's really great that the show also has a focus on 
people that might need the services as well as those working in the industry. And I think seeing those relationships as being really interconnected, that they're feeding each other as well, is is a, a really great way to see the industry and not, you know, I guess there's an older kind of more paternalistic view of how the worker and the kind of client or whatever is is seen in those kind of um, circles and to bring the people together that I think it's a really great part of the show as well. Yeah, oh, thanks. It's kind of what we're going for, I think. So how did you... I, I know that um, uh, there, there are a lot of uh, stories that sort of hit the headlines and so... Um, it, it seemed very obvious that you should cover the the robo debt crisis, for example, um, which was one of the the, the first it was the first series that you you folks did on Over the Wall, if I'm not mistaken. But um, what, as for the individual people that you were speaking to, how did you seek them out and um, reach out to them? Were they was it just it just happened? I actually I actually think a really good resource for things like this this is Facebook, hmm. because nearly every every um, uh, NGO or whatever that's working in particular fields, they all have a Facebook presence and if you just subscribe to them information will filter through to you and it's usually a good first point of contact. So for with robo-debts, I was already a member of the Australian Unemployed Workers Union excuse me but um, as well as that the um, a group called Not My Debt which was probably even more focused on this issue um, bubbled up within a month of the the first robo-debt um, uh, scandal events happening. Yeah. And so between those two, you get pretty uh, pretty damn good resource. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I suppose that's a really good um, good note to people who want to make similar shows, I suppose, because we're always encouraging people to come into 3CR and um, uh, sort of help us spread sort of alternative journalism which is what we, mm-hmm. we provide here at Monday Breakfast and um, you, you've provided on Over the Wall um, so if you had sort of anything that you, you wanted to sort of improve on in terms of the the way that you reach out to or the way that you pick up on, on stories um, because you can't know everything in, in social um, sort of the sector um, what would that be? Like what would, what, what do you really want to work on? Well, I want to work on stuff that's outside our knowledge base, and outside mm. our um, comfort zone is not really what I mean. But, for example, uh, the NDS, NDIS rather, is a complicated beast that's, mm. that's still sort of uh, in a... I gather, is still in a stage where it's uh, hard for people to get their head around. So, in, in the following year... I would love it if um, people who are affected by the NDIS or working in the uh, sector uh, take the initiative to get in touch with us. But um, the great thing about that is that we can go in there. Well, let me let me just speak for myself. I don't want to speak for people necessarily on this, but go in there kind of ignorant of what the problems and issues may be, aware that the, it is a complicated field. And then go in there like, say, Louis Thoreau or whatever. Like, yeah. I don't know nothing about this. Yeah. You've got to explain it to me. And therefore, we become the ciphers for the um, the listener who may be, not be across the issues. Yeah, for those people who, ha- who, as you said earlier, haven't been directly affected by a specific issue. And so they have had to become experts on it. Yeah. Um, but the rest of us necessarily haven't necessarily. I was thinking about the... Um, 
that very first series that you did on the Centrelink RoboDebts. I myself have had experience of being the sticky end of um, of owing Centrelink money. Okay. Um, did you win that battle, or is no, it still ongoing? No, I didn't. Oh, I didn't. okay. Um, and so that sort of left me a worse off for a little while. But um, but that was before the sort of the real bulk of the the RoboDebts was a couple of years earlier, actually. Um, the RoboDebts thing came out, but as soon as that hit, I kind of had this sort of shock of recognition of what a whole lot of people were going through, this kind of um, sort of personal panic and fear. Um, and so it sort of... Um, first of all, thank you for covering that, um, for covering the RoboDebts, because that's something that's really, um, really affected a lot of people. And, um, yeah, I, I just wanted to thank you for that, first of all. No worries. But it's also... Worth, yeah, yeah. It's worth pointing out that... Um, look, I haven't looked at the the figures on this recently but and um the department is not eager to supply um breakdown of the the amounts recovered the number of people affected no but it when we saw the original uh churn of robo debt letters and uh alleged debts it became pretty obvious that it was kind of a ponzi scheme in that within a year you'd have to have around about a million people from which you're recovering these debts if you continue issuing at the rate they were. So um, it's kind of outrageous in a way. Yeah, yeah. A little earlier we were speaking to Bill Kelly, who's a curator of, a, of an art exhibition that's um, about sort of pro-peace art. And, um, and I think it's got, it's got a relation because that art exhibition talks about the desensitisation of the Australian public to... Um, to narratives in favour of violence and sort of not not exactly the same but it kind of makes me think about the way um, in which our mainstream media um, sort of is constantly ramming up the idea of um, of doll bludgers and of um, sort of welfare cheats and that sort of thing and how we've been um, when I say we I mean our society generally has been sort of desensitised to the idea of the ungrateful undeserving poor um, and to to the sort of people receiving social services as um, as sort of engaged in graft, basically, and sort of taking things that they don't deserve or that they don't need. Um, and I think something that Over the Wall may have done for for some of our listeners, at least I hope, is to sort of chip away at that that narrative at least a little bit and. Um, was that was that part of the intention when you started off? Um, on a phys- philosophical level, is kind of what you're talking about. I guess it is in a way. Mm. The it's it, it's maybe obvious to most people out there that uh, Christian Porter and the the other ministers in the field are happy to demonise um, their clients, and they do it in a rather cynical way in the same way that Dutton does with his portfolio Mm. in a much more outrageous way actually but um, a a good example is the the issue that came up over uh, drug testing of uh, um, the unemployed Mm. of of, uh, recipients which was that probably goes back about six months my instinct when I heard this was that it was never going to get up it was never intended to get up, and it was purely a bit of uh, window dressing by the government to find a good way to kick some kick the heads of some of these 
uh, Centrelink recipients. Mm. And that's been borne out. I mean, the bill, the bill, the current reforms in the, uh, I think it's called the Welfare Reform Act, they're likely to actually get, some of those provisions will get up in the next session of Parliament, but that bit, the Senate wouldn't, wouldn't buy it at all and had to be excised completely from the bill. And there'll be negotiations when the Parliament resumes, I guess, in February to see, um, which provisions get up and which don't. So I, I guess that's a rather um, convoluted way of me saying that um, some things governments say and do, they never intend to, to do, they never intend to act on. They just want to create a media storm for... And it plants that seed, doesn't it? Like you said, that it makes the public think about people that are receiving welfare and taking drugs as the same thing. And so whether they intend to act on that specific thing, they're creating that, plant that seed in people's mind that these things are really connected and then they can do something else to people yeah. on welfare and people are like, oh, well, it doesn't matter there. I guess, I guess to be more, more specific, it actually helps them, even if they're never intending to drug test um, recipients, it certainly help, helps them sell the cashless uh, welfare card. Yeah. Because it's supposed to be have the same motivations, and we've seen the kind of devastating effects of that in the Northern Territory. I was there last year, and uh, seeing police confiscate alcohol off Aboriginal people at bottle shops, and and just the way that that's really affected communities. The the basics card and the kind of way that that is really, you know, become integrated into communities and how people who are receiving welfare are really demonised much further and further into the community. Yeah. It's it's um, becoming obviously a hot-button issue now. It's trying to be introduced into um, non-Indigenous communities, mm. and it will become more so. And so we hope to uh, deal a bit more with this next year and try to get some expert advice on ways that people can resist the uh, cashless welfare card when it comes to their town. Because one of the things you saw in the Northern Territory is people then having to um, buy goods or, or, you know, buy alcohol if they weren't allowed to buy that with their basics card at a much higher rate and, you know, selling the things that they were able to buy with their basics card for half the price. And so, you know, it, it creates a black market economy for the things that are not allowed on the on the basics card and then it creates you know an even further um uh disparity in, in wealth from people who you know having to buy their essential goods at such an inflated rate yes it, it's obviously uh very problematic it's even you think of it in um you got to think of this in terms of regional areas because that's where it tends to be introduced and the set up for where you can spend your money is really based in this one town. If you leave that town and go to the next town, you show them this cashless welfare card, they go, well, what do I do with this? I can't, mm. I don't, I'm not set up to deal with this. So you're, you're, is it alarmist to remind people of the situation of the serfs before uh, Alexander II freed them and they're allowed to move from town to town? I guess it is a bit alarmist, but... Um, that's one of the issues and I think it may there may be creative lawyers who make this uh, actual way to pursue the 
legislation over time. Mm. Now, if you folks want to listen back to um, what we've heard in the past from Over the Wall, um, they do have their own... You've got your own website, haven't you, with the, the podcast on there. What was the address for that? Um, probably the, the the best... Like, we do have mm. a hosting site, but probably the, the mm. quickest, easiest way to to get in there is to go onto Facebook mm. and just uh, search Over the Wall 3CR. Yeah, that's then right. that, And then that'll show you the, the appropriate links. It's also, if people want to get in touch with us, I reckon that's probably the best way. Yes, yeah. And we want people to get in touch with us. Yeah. We, people with any of issues either problems they've had dealing with bureaucracies or victories they've had so they've got tips they can share with other people Mm. or the converse which is the opposite way we look at it is how you use bureaucracy to achieve an aim with a private uh, individual or private Mm. business Sure. Um, and also, if you want to listen back to things um, in the past from Over the Wall, you can also head to 3cr.org.au slash Over the Wall, which is all on word. And of course, we also include Over the Wall in Monday Breakfast podcast. Um, so uh, yeah. that's that's all for stuff in the past. We're going to be talking about things that are coming up um, next year. I know we've spoken a little bit about the cashless card um, uh, welfare system, um, but we'll be right back on 3CR Monday Breakfast. I put you in a mirror, I put in front of me. Hi, I'm Elise Platt and you're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your radio dial. CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor, the New International Bookshop, for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. Hello, it's Fiona Scott-Norman here, and I would just like to say congratulations. You are doing something very important right now. Do you want to know what it is? You are listening to 3CR, Melbourne's most diverse and fascinating community radio station. And you know why it's important? Because diversity is important, community is important, community radio is very, very important, and you are a winner. You are a winner, because you're listening to 3CR Monday Breakfast, and we're still in the studio here with Duncan from Over the Wall, um, and now we're going to talk about the future. Uh, so we, we talked a little bit about the cashless card, Duncan, um, and the, the cashless welfare card, and how... We're hoping to hear a bit more about that. But um, what else do we have a bit nearer um, in the future that you think you might be talking about in Over the Wall in the New Year? Yeah, well, the pro- last couple of weeks you would have heard me talking to the CEO of Tenants Union of Victoria about some tenancy issues. And I really only got halfway through the sort of things I wanted to cover. And, you know, you often start... Um, vague and get into more and more detail as you go. So I think it likely that when we're back we'll be uh, jumping into some tenancy issues with specific advice on things like what to do to, uh, to tell your landlord that he can't put your rent up by 30% in one go, how you fight that, uh, how you fight eviction. 
and also uh, some updates on uh, what's happening with the state government legislation, which it seems is taking a long time to come to fruition. No one's really seen the bills yet. Other than Tennessee law, we'll be. I'm hoping to revisit uh, industrial relations law. We found a great resource in Josh Cullen and from the uh, RAFRU, the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union last year, Australia's newest union, and um, there's been a lot of developments in his field in that industry lately. You may have heard yesterday that it's been revealed that Woolworths managed to get a secrecy order on a a Greenfields agreement that they've just struck, um, which is quite bizarre and unprecedented. So that brings up a whole lot of um, industrial issues that we haven't seen before. Mm. Um, Now, I'd love to talk a bit more about this, um, but we're actually being joined uh, right now by Jackson, um, who we said earlier was out on a mystery assignment. It turns out that we're um, live crossing to our roving reporter, uh, who's down at the Dock Link Road at Melbourne Ports with some of the activists who are calling for um, Manus Manus refugees to be freed, um, and he's uh, down there right now. Jackson, can you hear us? Yeah, good morning, Will. How are you? Good morning, Jackson. Um, So what's actually happening? Tell us what's going on right now. Well, Will, you would remember, and a lot of our listeners would remember, that just a few weeks ago, the front page of a prominent uh, weekend newspaper had the mobile phone numbers and home numbers, or the office numbers of Malcolm Turnbull and Peter Dutton and Tanya Plibersek and Bill Shorten up, you know, imploring the Victorian public to get in contact with those members and put pressure on to free the men, uh, you know, horrendously trapped on Manus by the actions of the federal government. It seems to have disappeared from the front pages of our paper, but there's still people out here, and 3CR is still covering this story, so we're trying to bring attention to this plight. I'm here at Docklink Road. There's about uh, 15 activists holding up a big banner that says, all refugees in detention are political prisoners. I'm with a spokesperson. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Uh, so what brought you out here this morning? Uh, how did this action come about, and, and what are you trying to achieve by it? So today we're blockading the port and our message is that we're questioning why this border policy allows for corporations, profits, products to be given free reign to come into the country, but people seeking safety are violently stopped from coming to uh, seek safety in Australia. That's right. We've seen a lot in the paper recently about blockading Christmas toys from entering the country and the outrage we should feel from you know so-called militant unions stopping Christmas goods coming into the into the state, but these are real human lives that have been blockaded by the government for you know six seven years in some cases. Uh, what are you hoping to achieve by this action today? What is the aim of this action? Well, we're hoping to really put pressure on the government and also to call for other people out there to take action as well, material action to try to address this issue urgently. I mean, the people on Manus Island, as we know, have suffered from uh, terrible, inhumane treatment from the government, purposeful torture as part of their deterrence, the, the government's deterrence policy. So we're calling on the Australian government to immediately give freedom and safety to the refugees on Manus. But we're also concerned about all of the, those asylum seekers, the refugees, 
who have come to Australia and who are locked up in detention around Australia and offshore as well, and we're calling for the end to all detention. Now, that's fantastic. So how long are you going to be down here this morning? Are you planning... What, what's the plan? So we're basically planning to blockade the port for as long as possible. We're going to keep it up um, all day uh, as long as we can. Uh, we've got uh, a few police that have come down to our site now. They're having a look around, so we'll see what happens. But we've got climbers up poles. Um, we've got ropes across roads. We've got trucks being stopped. Um, and so we're um, going to hold that for as long as we can and make the message really strong that we are, we're going to keep going until the people from Manus are free. And how do you feel about the impact on the people? You know, you're blockading the port, it creates traffic jams. You know, some of the reception sometimes in the mainstream press is that these type of actions alienate supporters rather than generating them. How do you respond to that? So obviously this isn't protesting against the uh, workers that have been stopped today, the truck drivers, and we just hope that they'll have patience with this action and realise that uh, a bit of inconvenience for their day today um, is insignificant compared to the fact that people have been uh, locked up on Manus for years and years, have been uh, tortured, have been uh, faced with violence, uh, had their food and water cut off there and, and a bunch of other things. So we're just hoping that people will understand that this is a critical issue that we have to do something about and will actually support us and respect that a little bit of inconvenience for hopefully a good outcome for adding to the pressure to get something done about this issue. And I notice a lot in the press at the moment, they often, uh, you know, put together stories about activists next to, you know, highly armed new SWAT teams, you know, supposedly for terrorism, but you can't help but feel that a lot of the mainstream press presents activism as a, as a sort of terrorism at the moment or a sort of, you know, violent thugs are often presenting, you know, particularly the left as, which I find pretty distressing. Um, does it make you nervous seeing all these super heavily armed police and things at different events? Like today I can see they're not really in the riot here, but they often are. How do you uh, deal with the kind of... Um, implied and real violence that the state turns towards protests so often these days. Yeah, I think you're right that there's often a lot of like negative rhetoric um, and obviously that's in the interest of the police and the government to make activists uh, look bad uh, and I guess what we're trying to do is show that actually it's really critical that people do stand up and take action and to not be intimidated by those tactics, continue to protest, continue to take action because we need to stand in solidarity. And the people on Manus, they have been taking action. They have been taking action day in and day out and protesting and, and facing a lot of violence themselves. So I think it's really important that we here are able to take action as well and show solidarity and join the, in with that action. And do you invite our listeners to come down today and join in the blockade? Do you want more people to come down here? Yeah, people can definitely come down and support. Um, we're, we're gonna, as I said, we're going to be here for as long as possible and people are more than welcome to come down and, and show their solidarity and support. So well, thank you very can much. we get that address again, please? Oh, yeah, can we get the address one more time? Thank you, Will. So we've got, uh, we're on Footscray Road at the, uh, at the port. Uh, and we've got three roads blocked, so there's a, there's a few different sites where people can come for the uh, to support the action. Yeah, Docklink Road and also uh, Appleton Dock Road are blocked at the moment, so if you want to get down here, um, we might come back and, and, and get another update later in the show, uh, but uh, the spokesperson has to go off to another media interview now, so I'll let her go. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks, hey. Will. Thanks, Jackson. We'll uh, speak to you soon. Cheers, mate. Okay, bye. 
Alrighty, you are listening to Monday Breakfast. We're just speaking to Jackson. Um, we're back in the studio now with Duncan, um, just so we can sign off on um, on what's coming up on Over the Wall. Um, so, is there anything else that you really want to bring up for us to talk about well, in the future? Uh, well, I just want to get a, a general call out out there. Well, it, when we're dealing with an issue, I usually again jump on Facebook and say, uh, "Has this issue affected you? If you, can you get in contact? If it has, because we want ordinary." Uh, perspectives as well as expert perspectives. So, thinking of issues around um, uh, dealing with award rates, industrialisation, uh, dealing with tenancy issues, dealing with NDIS, um, dealing with uh, job network providers. I'm sure there's some people listening right now who say who are thinking, I can tell a good story about this because I've been through the ringer. Well, we really want you, and we're willing to come to you if we can do that to make it easy to interview you, and we're willing to make you anonymous if that's required. Mm-hmm. So the best way to do that is to... Uh, there's a couple of ways, but I think an easy way is to, as I said before, go to Facebook, uh, search for Over the Wall 3CR, contact us uh, through a private message through there, but of course... I don't need to tell people how to use it. If if they don't also tell us that they've left a message, we may never know because of the spam filters on Facebook. So you just got to do those two things. If that's all too hard, you can contact 3CR. That's right. Um, you can contact our current affairs team um, who will forward on all of your your message to the folks that are over the wall. Just contact current affairs at 3cr.org.au. Um, so we'll you know what we'll put all the links for this in our in our rundown at the end of the day. I'm going to be updating it around 10 o'clock, so keep your eyes peeled on our Monday breakfast webpage on 3cr.org.au. Yeah, uh, probably the only other thing, because I know you've got to scoot, <laughs> is um, just to let you know that we'll be taking a few weeks off. Um, uh, one, of, one of us has had a few health issues, so we may take a few more weeks, but you'll know. We'll let you know whether we're back mid-January or maybe in February with new apps. And look, we're really looking forward to it. You are listening to 3CR Monday Breakfast. Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great, really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. Join us to mark 100 years since the serenading of Adela Pankhurst, imprisoned at Pentridge for her anti-war activities. Serenading Adela, a street opera, recreates the summer night when hundreds of supporters sang socialist songs and cooeyed over the prison walls. Come along to Pentridge on Sunday the 7th of January or catch our December preview. It's all free. For details, search Serenading Adela or email serenadingadela at gmail.com. 
a 3CR supporter. Hello, this is Dan Sultan, and you're listening to 3CR Blackfellow Radio, Melbourne. And you are listening to 3CR, either 855 on your AM dial, listening digitally. You may be listening to one of our podcasts in the future. So uh, if you're doing that, spread the word, because, I mean, Monday Breakfast, it's a very generic name. I'm surprised people don't just come across, stumble across it. So look us up on whatever podcasting app you use or online. Um, and also, never be afraid to call in 94198377. We don't put people straight to the air, but what we do do is we record messages, and um, your feedback really, really helps us, so absolutely pass it on. Um, also, just pop into the studio, um, business hours, 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, and um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, so right now, it's a zine emergency. As part of the Metro Tunnel's plan for the construction of CBD South, or Town Hall Station as it's going to be called, the Melbourne Metro Rail Authority intends to evict all the traders in Campbell Arcade running underground from DeGray Street to Flinders Street Station, and this would mean the destruction of a big chunk of Melbourne's architectural heritage, as well as the eviction of traders like Sticky Institute, which is really the heart of Melbourne's independently published zine culture. So to tell us more about this, and also to call you to action, we have the coordinator of, have a coordinator of Sticky Institute, Luke, in the studio with us. Luke, welcome to 3CR Breakfast. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, So... First of all, for people who aren't familiar with Sticky Institute, first of all, what are they doing? So Sticky Institute is a zine shop, yep. and we sell and distribute zines from Shop 10 Campbell Arcade. So we work as a volunteer-run, not-for-profit, artist-run space, and we've operated out of Campbell Arcade for the past 16 years. So it's been there for a while. And there are a few more welcoming spaces for writers. I know you can just sort of pop in, sit down at the table. Yeah, you can come in, you can sell zines. If you want to sell zines, you can sit down, you can use all of our materials, you can use typewriters, you can use photocopiers, and it's Mm. set up as a resource. So anyone who does stock their work at Sticky, 80% of the shelf price goes straight back to them. We take 20% and we use that to pay the rent, and everyone's a volunteer who works Mm. there. Yeah, and speaking of rent, so the lease runs out in 2019 and seems like um, the current lease runs out in 2019. So the current lease runs out in a week, actually. In a week. Yep, in a week. and so we've been put on a month-by-month lease oh. and everyone in Campbell Arcade has been evicted as of the end of June 2019. Yeah, and so that's all um, all sort of under the directive of the the folks playing the Melbourne Metro Tunnel, yes. is that right? So what, the, what was their rationale for doing this? Well, they've put a proposal together, which mm. they'd called for feedback on, so all the feedback was due in by Friday last week, mm. and they got a, a huge lot, number of responses. Yep, they yeah. got a huge yeah. amount of negative feedback, so we um, started agitating about 10 days ago. At that point, there was 400 um, responses to their feedback. By the end of last week, oh, the last person who we know that put one in for us, there was 1,000 so there's well over a thousand. We're talking individuals, we're talking artists, we're talking um, larger institutions have been very supportive, such as the Wheeler Centre, such as the City of Literature, and really anyone who's ever, ever come to the shop and stocked a zine, anyone who has ever kind of come down and bought a zine, realises the real cultural significance of the space. And even the Victorian Greens. Yes, they've been wonderful. So there is a petition circulating which um, Ellen Sandell has circulated, which has been wonderful. It's just been really heartening to see people get on board and say, no, this is a heritage-listed space, 
and it is a community art space which has been there for 16 years and we want to keep it. So the developers behind the proposal had an alternative proposal which suddenly changed six months ago. The alternative proposal left the heritage and culture of Campbell Arcade completely alone. It bypassed those completely. Then all of a sudden there was a new plan put on where a pedestrian walkway would be put from Port Phillip Arcade right through the Sticky Institute and that would mean demolishing three heritage listed spaces in Campbell Arcade. I think the Port Phillip Arcade story is a bit of an instructive um, sort of episode and what might happen so um for the, for those folks who don't don't remember port phillip arcade was a little arcade that passed over a tafe on um on flinders street and it went between flinders lane and flinders street and it had a whole lot of businesses in there there was that um uh uh this really old coin and yeah stamp and coin collecting store there. Yep. coin collecting store and it was like it's an, it's really old business it's been there for a long time it's a uh, an independent business it was an independent business as well and um uh after many many years of trading to a very dedicated and passionate sort of um clientele very little consulta- consultation ripped out it's gone well i mean, I mean there was consul- consultation it's so small though like we had three weeks to yeah, respond yeah. to this and mm. so we you know we have a massive group you know when we opened in 2001 mm. we had 15 zines on the shelf mm. and recently we just stocked our 15,000th individual title yeah. and we we host a huge zine fair in february every year so that's coming up in the melbourne town hall on february the 11th this year we're expecting 10,000 people to be at the melbourne town hall for that we've got 280 stalls there's people coming from all around mm. australia and in all the feedback we've been telling them we're going to stand on the stage with a megaphone and we can tell them that either the, um, the development has destroyed the heritage and culture of Campbell Arcade or it's chosen to respect the heritage and culture of Campbell Arcade and we're going to yell that all afternoon. Mm. One of the things that we talked about at the top of the show was I guess how that the arcade has hosted a lot of other like artistic shows, exhibitions, music, all that kind of thing as well. And, you know, in one regard, the council wants to take people on tours of graffiti <laughs> lanes but when there's, you know, other artistic expressions happening right near those lanes, yeah, they you want look to get at rid of it. All the stuff in Campbell Arcade, like there is what used to be called Platform Artist Group, which is the longest-running artist-run space in Melbourne. You know, it's been operating for well, 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 more than 25 years. It's now been taken over, and it's called The Dirty Dozen, but there's still artwork been shown in there. The Sticky Institute, opposite this Corky St. Clair, which stocks a whole range of local jewellers, jewellers. Next door, you've got the Cat's Meow. It stocks local fashion. And, yeah, you've got tour guides bringing down huge groups of people several times a day. And when we host our zine fair at the Melbourne Town Hall, we get people coming from all around Australia, and they tell us we wish we had something in our city like Campbell Arcade, like the culture and the heritage which is there. Mm. And so I think that's the message we've been getting across, that this space is important, because I think the developers and the architect came down to the space once, thought it was some kind of dingy subway that no one would care about and we're saying no no there is a lot of people who for whom this space is really really important and you're right there's gigs down there we had a zine launch at sticky on friday you know it was an 18 year old launching a zine you know there's 30 of their friends in sticky it's music playing there's all the other shops are open then platform had a launch after that there's people coming down for that it's a real cultural hub yeah, now I definitely don't want all of our public spaces turning into sort of sanitized sort of Dubai style, you know, <laughs> shiny marble. You know, these really exultant kind of images and artist impressions coming about it of the new stations. A lot of them are very soulless and empty. And I think Campbell Arcade is a great antidote to that. It's a bit more scrappy. It's a bit more Melbourne. 
like I said, if we if we want Melbourne to be interesting and vibrant and alive, we need to keep places like Canberra. Yeah, like yeah, it's it's, it's living Melbourne culture. You know, they have money yeah. for each of the the developments, each of the stations for arts activation in the space, mm. and it's like you have got a completely important cultural institution here, and you're going to use your arts activation money to buy some kind of big sculpture that no one cares about mm. and destroy all of the living culture which has you know been living in the space for decades. Mm. So it's just about telling them this space is important and it's important for so many different people for so many different reasons. Now, I wouldn't be doing my due diligence if I didn't ask one challenging question. Um, why can't Sticky Institute just move? Yeah, it, that is a very good question. So where we've been, it's been a subsidised space through the City of Melbourne for 16 years because it's set up as a resource 80% of the money goes straight back to the zine makers. So essentially, people come to us, they sell a zine for $2.00 and 40 cents of that goes to Sticky, the rest goes directly back to the maker. So we've been subsidised through the City of Melbourne, which has been lovely. They've been completely amazing and supportive for a number of years. And if we were to then go up, just up the street, there's another one, another shop, which is for lease at the minute in the Block Arcade, we would literally be paying 15 times the rent that we are currently paying. So we're just trying to get across that the idea of demolishing a subsidised community art space which was part of the UNESCO City of Literature bid just a few years ago is a really, really bad look especially when you're demolishing heritage listed shops in order to get your project through. Absolutely, so I know we have to let you go because you're a very busy person but um, <laughs> let's let's talk about that petition because that's the, the current Call to, call to arms, really, for, yep. for people. Can you tell us a bit about the petition and how we can sign it? Yep, so the address you can go to is ellensandell.com forward slash Campbell underscore arcade. And Ellen Sandell, the um, Greens member for Melbourne, wrote really, really amazing words on the poster. It says Campbell Arcade's eastern side could soon be demolished, but Labor's planning minister hasn't even assessed the heritage and cultural impact, which is true. No heritage or cultural impact. They just kind of came down to the arcade, said, oh yeah, this is gone, and it's like, no, this is a very important space, and we are going to fight it right to the end. Absolutely. We'll be putting the links on our website at 3cr.org.au slash Monday hyphen breakfast, and um, that's where you can get all of the the info. Uh, Luke, is a coordinator of Sticky Institute and uh, joins us in the studio to talk about uh, uh, how you can save Sticky Institute and all of the independent businesses and the independent artists who are supported by Campbell Arcade. Luke, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Well, if you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, it's on where you are. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. We'll check out the happy vibe. We're gonna ring up and subscribe. If you listen to 3CR, clap your hands. What? Who the hell's that? Clap your hands. What are you talking about? Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, 10am every Monday morning on Community Radio 3CR. Also live streaming on the web and weekly podcasts at 3cr.org.au. So listen in for the very latest bicycle stories, news and views from Melbourne and around the cycling universe. Listen in. Slavery is back. 
Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. I think it's important to be out and proud and not be ashamed of the labels that are given to us. So I can call myself mad and loony and loopy and all those words because I'm giving them to myself and I'm owning them. And rather than being ashamed of being mad, I'm saying I'm mad and I'm proud of myself. I'm not ashamed. So it's mad pride, really, in the way that we have gay pride. Uh, same sort of thing. Um, a lot of my mad comrades, as I call them, use the word mad about themselves because it's saying to the community, you, want, you might want to call me mad and, and, and be um, stigmatising of me for being mad, but here I am saying I am mad, but I'm not ashamed of who I am. a lot today about how to be included in the community and I'm wondering whether it's as much about making the community we want rather than being included in something that doesn't seem to be all that keen on us all the time. The community isn't very keen on mad people I have to say. We have all these PR disasters for schizophrenia and then having the diagnosis paranoid schizophrenia so it's really tricky. How do we how do we get the community to want to share with us our lives and how do we ignite in the community compassion, respect and understanding? And when I give my talks publicly to you know, community groups it's all about compassion, respect and understanding and saying to them, here I am. I have a label schizophrenia, but I'm not a monster. And because I'm not a monster, you can engage with me as I can engage with you. And it's about breaking down the barrier of them thinking that I'm a monster because I carry this really baggage-laden label and showing them that I'm, I am just someone struggling with a mental illness, but I, I want to be included and I don't want to be a, a, a victim of your stigmatising, judgmental attitude. You are back with... 3CR Monday Breakfast. Now, just before we launch into our next thing, I wanted to put out a little announcement, and we'll be putting our details on our website, and I know I say that a lot, we'll be putting the details on the website, but we will be putting the details on the website. So, 3cr.org.au slash Monday hyphen breakfast. So, the the announcement I wanted to make was that the Australian Music Vault 
is uh, putting together a uh, giving an opportunity for young Australian artists, musicians, and young people aged 14 to 18 who are interested in music or engaged in music to take part in a series of arts workshops which cover things like songwriting, uh, production, logo design, mixing, DJing, VJing, everything. Um, and it's it sounds like a really great package. So if you are 14 to 18 or you uh, have someone in your life who's aged 14 to 18 and is interested in taking part in this series of workshops which are runs from the 22nd of January to the 25th of January, so it's a four-day course, uh, get in contact um, by going to our webpage, that's 3cr.org.au slash Monday hyphen breakfast, and um, get them enrolled for this program. It's going to be happening at the channel, but you know, you'll find out more details once you sign up. Uh, the price is $150 for full price, but you know what? You can apply for a half price of $75 if you've either got a healthcare card or if um, the folks at AMV Academy receive a written request from the participants' family. So you don't necessarily have to have or hold a healthcare card, but just um, write in a letter um, to the folks at AMV Academy and they're generously, generously offering, for this four-day course, a $75 um, fee for, for this program. Like I said before, it starts on the 22nd of January, runs through to the 25th, uh, and right now it's 8.20 a.m. You are listening to Monday Breakfast, and it's time for... Some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Actually, no. We're going to cross over to Jackson, because I, I realise that we've actually got um, someone on the line right now with Jackson down at the blockade. Um, hey, Jackson, are you there? Hey, Will, how are you doing? Oh, uh, good, thank you. I'm actually pretty excited to hear what you've got um, You've got now, so can we... Let's Let's... Well, you know, I must say it is alternative news because it's news that's happening right now that isn't being covered by the mainstream media. Though Channel 7, to, you know, to take that back a little, Channel 7 do have a crew down here giving a bit of attention. I mean, it's some pretty good pictures. They've strung up some uh, high-wire ropes across uh, Docklink Road and there's a, a banner hanging from one of the ropes saying SOS Manus. In, uh, there's a lot of um, high-vis down here as well. The, the activists have been very clever and they look like dock workers, so I think that might have uh, protected them for a while this morning. But... I'm sitting here with, with Will, uh, an activist who was involved with blockading uh, Appleton Dock Road, just, just north of here towards the city, trying to cut off all entrances to the port and uh, create as much attention as possible for this issue. Uh, so, uh, Will, what happened down at Appleton Dock this morning when you blockaded the road? Um, basically, we were part of one bridge of three preventing the dock in a non-violent political protest in response to Manor. And so we had a climber with a banner strung up, um, blockaded the road in high-vis workers' gear, and it got pretty confrontational between the truck drivers and the activists, but it served a good purpose, I think. In terms of uh, the confrontation with the truck drivers, is it... I mean, I'm, I'm a... Me, myself, when someone comes towards me with, you know, physical intent, it's very nerve-wracking. Is there an opportunity to have a conversation with these people about what you're doing or are you more just trying to, you know, keep yourself safe? Um, it basically depended on the mood of a few of the workers. You know, one man, he was first in the line and he rocked up and he was completely angry and just going off. And then by the end of it, he kind of was a bit remorseful and apologising, whereas a few others, they got off, attempted to cut the rope with knives and pliers. A few of us got... Uh, 
got a few hits to the head, so it just fluctuated depending on mood. It is a it is a shame that you know workers you know um, often you know historically have stood in solidarity with other people that are getting you know um, screwed over by the system you know and I think that refugees are definitely one of those groups at the moment and you know the more you look at the paper lowly lowly paid or you know casual workers are as well I mean there's been a lot of union activism around the docks in the last few weeks um, are you are you surprised that you know that that's where a lot of the confrontation comes from. Yeah, it was quite surprising. I mean, a guy who punched me in the head was also a union member and talking about rights, which is a bit contradictory. But, um, yeah, I find that I, it's just, I guess it's the foresight, you know what I mean? It's hard, it's easy if you're a worker and to pitch your nine to five, whereas, uh, you know, things happening offshore, you may not dwell over in your head. Definitely. Uh, how did you get involved around this issue? What brought you down here this morning? Why is it important to you to, you know, it is there is a risk involved with what you've been doing. There are police down here. What what motivates you to to get out here on the streets this morning? Um, it's part of it's a feeling of being able to take the power back, even though it is fleeting. And as a young person in a very developed country who has a lot of offers on tap, I feel like I need to try and give as much as possible, whether it be activism, learning, anything to try and help others, you know, it's, uh, live a very privileged lifestyle and things like this. Yeah, the risk is hard, but like hardly in comparison to the livelihood of, you know, what we go, what we know goes on. That's right. The situation on Manus is still, you know, horrendous. And, you know, there was a period there where we were hearing a lot about it. Um, and, you know, the media were covering a lot. It felt like maybe, you know, there would be the New Zealand deal signed or, you know, something to, to get these men, you know, that are being, you know, that are trapped in this, you know, deliberately torturous situation as an example to other people. I mean, you, you know, your heart just goes out. Um, what would you say to people considering coming down today? Are you going to be down here for a while? And um, So two of the bridges or two of the blockades are still up currently and we're not sure how long they'll be up for for a while. I think... I think they'll be up for for a while, but yeah, I mean, good if you know you're a young person or any person, you know, it's, it's a prime example of how you can um, try and you know maybe fleeting, but try and uh, take some of that power back and try and put a message out to something that is often restricted and there's not a lot of media coverage. Jackson, it's James here in the studio. I wonder if you could just tell the listeners, or um, we could just talk a bit about the links between what's happening at the docks and stopping um, the ships there and, and how that links in with Manus and what's happening with the people there? Well, I guess from my perspective, one way to look at it is, you know, we have heard a lot in the press over the last few weeks about how horrendous it is that, uh, you know, unions have blockaded uh, goods coming in and out of the city, you know, essential Christmas gifts, you know, that, that need to be able to arrive on our shores safely when the, you know seven, eight, nine years, there's human beings whose uh, movement has been restricted, who cannot, you know, we talk, we talk about Christmas and the importance of it. If we want to recognise, uh, you know, what is really good about Christmas is getting together with family, being with friends, you know, having a safe space to, to celebrate what's good in life. And, and these people, from, from my perspective, have, you know, have, have had that taken away from them by the Australian government for years. And if, and if we wanted to celebrate Christmas, you know, at the spirit of Christmas, we, we need to lift the embargo on these people's freedom, you know, like it's pretty, uh, that, that's, that's my opinion. What, what do you think, Will? 
Um, yeah, the principle for why we aimed at the docks was primarily because uh, they're open 24-7 for the importation and exportation of goods, whereas, you know, our, our borders are closed to these people. And, yeah, that's, that's why we chose the docks as a, as a place for a protest. Will and James, do you have any other questions for for me or for Will down here? Well, I think it'd be really good to um, remind the folks listening at home if they've only just tuned in to uh, where the blockade has been happening and also where they can find out more. Yeah, so the blockade is happening uh, at a number of entrance points to the docks, all off Footscray Road. So we're here on Dock Link Road, which is kind of the middle road. There was a blockade at Appleton Dock Road, which has been... Uh, temporarily removed due to some violence from the public. Um, and do you know where the third blockade is? It's uh, it's a bit hush-hush as well, but I'd say it's the, it's the southern entrance. I'm not exactly sure of the name, but the one further down towards Shepherd's Bridge in Footscray, there'd be a blockade there as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us, Jackson. I'll just remind folks that you can find out and you can see us tweeting about this at 3CR on Twitter and also... Um, by following the hashtag refuse to be complicit, which is um, a hashtag that they're using on Twitter and social media to um, to talk more about this, and also hashtag SOS Manus. Um, so follow those all on Twitter. If you don't have Twitter, um, follow us on Facebook, and we'll be able to pop, pop up some more information there. But uh, thanks for joining us, Jackson. It's been a great year with you guys. Uh, thanks for a fun, a fun, fun year on radio. It really has. I'm looking forward to the show starting up at the beginning of next year. Um, you're listening to Monday Breakfast here on 3CR. Um, if you're interested in learning more about the stuff that we've been talking about on the show, where should people go, Jackson? I think they should go to the Facebook page, to the 3CR website, uh, and to any of the groups that we've covered all year, you know, Whistleblowers and Activists, Campaign Against Racism and, Racism and Fascism, a whole lot of union sites, a lot of conservation sites, you know, I think follow the links, as they say. So 3cr.org.au, and you can also subscribe to our podcast at Monday. Breakfast, not Monday Breakfast 3CR, Monday Breakfast. Um, you've been listening to me, Will. And James. And we have Jackson on the line. And um, next up is uh, Women on the Line. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.